recording and welcome to what do you bring into the table this is your girl sylvia she uh, heard hers this is tori she heard hers i don't what know why that? i put what, a whoop, what whoop was that in there see how you that's like throwing people off that's not our intro it's our intro um, I'm, is uh, very clear i'm what do you call that what do you crazy call that? experimenting <laughs> we do not use that term to describe people we're very well, mental health positive on know, this podcast. If it fits. No. Um, I'm inventing. I'm trying new things for oh, okay. episode number hey. 25. Hey. We right. are, I should have a safe word then. We are quarter, if you're, quarter if life. If you're now indulging in other things, we I should are, have a safe word. Uh, a portion of the way to our 100th episode. Oh. We're in number 25. Oh. We have 25 we're, episodes. Wow. We are... One quarter away, one quarter towards our hundred episodes. Wow. Who knew it Who would last knew that this we would, long? Yeah. Um, well, well, getting lots of love. Though. Maybe we're you know, getting a lot of love that people are liking, <laughs> still listening. Yes, we're waiting for episodes to we're, drop. Um, you know, I think our audience side has has increased. I think last time I checked our stats, it was. We were, oh, whoops. Sorry. Oh, whoa. I was, whoa. I was watching is my a, sister. Oh, why, why is there a video on my phone? Because um, I was watching a video while I was sitting on the porch uh, waiting uh, for my co host to get home so I could get into the podcast you know, room today. School, when you got a kid, and I school's I about to start. No. You mm -hmm. got school shopping to do. No. And no. everybody is there. You just tell your co-host. Yeah. You just tell your co-host. That's all you got to do. You just got to send a Marco. You got to send a text. You got to be like, hey, girl, um, I know we plan on getting started around this time. And I, you know, my kid, yeah. he needs some shit he from school. So I got to run over and get some stuff. So I'll text you when we're done. And then I would have headed this direction. But instead, yeah. I had to sit on a porch like a damn street person. <laughs> Just lonely. <laughs> oh, so lonely. Patty, uh, oh, comment Patty don't call. I'm telling you, I was thinking any minute, any minute the patrol car is going to roll up here. Because especially because I have a backpack on and I keep going between the front door and the garage door oh, trying yeah. to enter the code that you did not know to yeah. your own garage. I don't know it. And, I, and, I barely know and my birthday. There I am sitting with his backpack just pacing back and forth i'm like any minute portland pd if portland pd wasn't busy dealing with the fucking racist downtown there probably would have been a call made to come and check out the situation oh yeah for sure <laughs> i i felt suspicious i can imagine i looked suspicious well that's what they say when you feel suspicious you know oh, like any minute any you minute they're gonna roll up here and i'm gonna have to explain who i am and hopefully not get tased. Uh, or, you know, have Border Patrol right? come all up. Uh, hey, I need to see them papers. Yeah. Yeah. I was all ready to get indignant with your neighbors. Like, if you uh, knew your neighbors, maybe you would know. You see right. my truck out here every freaking week. Yeah. Permit, Patty. 
25th episode. Ready to roll. What's your what's up date? My what's update is... Oh, wait. I got to push this. Oh. What is your what's update? I have to do that. Have to do that. Okay. So mine... Remember that Border Patrol agent that hit the guy um, was on leave. They were investigating... Um, oh, and God, he's the yeah. one that was sending the text about, yeah, you know, these like are subhumans. Like in the teens, wasn't it? I think so. Oh, damn. So, a what's update on him is uh, he pleads guilty. So, Matthew mm. Bowen, who pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge, had sent a text message referring to immigrants as subhumans and murdering savages. So, a border patrol agent was in who intentionally hit the Guatemalan migrant. With his truck in Arizona in 2017, who had referred to immigrants in a text message as as subhuman, mindless, murdering savages, has pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge. Only a misdemeanor? Only a misdemeanor. How is it a misdemeanor? I guess that would be that he loses his job, too. I don't know. know? Maybe they got some sort of caveat that as long as it ain't a felony. Well, it says <laughs> Matthew Bowen, who was stationed in Nogales, will face up to one year in prison and could prison. be fined 100000 when he is sentenced on October 15th. So we're going to have to prison. keep that one. He ain't going to prison. Um, and it's for deprivation of rights under color of law. I don't okay, know what well, how means. about like attempted assault or assault or um, what am I looking yeah. at here? Oh, um, our special guest. She, um, she, respond? she responded and she Unavailable? is ready to go. Oh, oh, yeah. well. But, but we're oh. on our WhatsApp update. Okay, so finish up the WhatsApp update yeah. and then we'll give her a call. We'll yeah. let the listeners so, know what we're so talking anyway, about. So anyway, uh, come October 15th, there should be another WhatsApp update on what he was sentenced we to. We so, no damn time. You know, it's just, yeah. The fact that he pled guilty after, and there was like multiple he sources. He pled said, guilty so that he could keep his retirement or some shit like that, right? Uh, like, so maybe he probably lost his job, but then they say, okay, we won't take your retirement. And then he'll just go find some other police agency in some well, small would, yeah. product town that'll probably let him be sheriff. Yeah. So apparently <laughs> what they said was in his text messages, um, the day that he did it, the day after he did it, he boasts to another friend of what he did. That's what I'm saying. So that like, right how there is like, dude, you have no defense. Just, um, I mean... That should that's that should, assault yeah. with a deadly weapon. Yeah. Isn't a car considered a deadly weapon? Because it's like a uh, two thousand pound machine piece of machinery that could kill someone. Yeah. How do you get away with oh just like potentially interfering with someone's rights? Oh, because they're not a citizen of this country, therefore they're not a person. Uh, well, we Fuck know that we shit. know that's Fuck that you know, shit. We, All we right. Know. So is and, that your only and it's in Arizona too. What's so update? we don't know what their laws are. Is that your only what's update for um, episode twenty five? Well, I did. We did Just talk dead. about the the uh, serial killers, right? The supposed serial serial killers. About that last dead. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's All my right. only what's update that I have that I've. Well, we have about. a what's update coming. Do should we tell them about what's what's about to happen here on the podcast? Um. Yeah. Let's. Someone. Go. We're going we're about to have a guest on our podcast here. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the call works. Yeah. Her um, name is uh, Rosalie Fisher. Rosalie Fisher, uh, you covered the story, so I want you to remind everyone of the story that you brought to the table. Um, so I I brought up a story regarding the serial killers about how the Highway of Tears is known for being a dumping ground for um, 
indigenous women in Canada and that um, there's just been, you know, since for a decade, well, what, I think for a decade, there's just oh, been yeah, a, forever, number, forever. Yeah, a number yeah. of unsolved murders and bodies being dumped on this stretch of highway. Mm-hmm. So yes. they now call it Highway of Tears. Yes. And as I was looking through, you know, just kind of doing a little bit more research, um, I came across a young Indian uh, woman, Native girl, American. Native American woman, who... Um, I thought you did uh, the story, though, too. No, no, I didn't do it. Are you story. sure? I'm positive. I swear we did the story, too. No, because we talked about it. We hmm. talked about it, me and you. Oh, just like talking just about like it? Just like talking about it. Oh, God. I could have um, done story. But this young woman in high school, um, in order to bring awareness to the murdered and missing indigenous women movement, um, put painted a red face over hand. her mouth. Hand. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, my hand. God. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the details. Painted a red hand over her mouth and ran um the meet yeah she's a track and field yes. um athlete yeah. in high school who ran the meet with the red handprint over yes. her mouth and she has since graduated correct yes and now is in college she's going into college do now. we know if she runs track in college i don't know i guess well, we'll we, can ask def- her that. we can definitely ask her. all right well so let's take let's a break take a break so and we we'll can, get her call yeah. get her on the line and then we'll come right back Welcome back to, to What Are You Bringing to the Table? Well, I would like to introduce our guest, and her name is Rosalie Fisher. Hi, Ro- my phone. My phone name is um, Rosalie Fish. Rosalie? Yeah, Rosalie Fish. Okay, Rosalie Fish. Rosalie, it, can you um, talk to us or to our listeners about what MMI or MMIW, what, what is that? So um, MMIW is an acronym that stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And it was created in order to bring awareness to other people that Native women and girls are much more vulnerable and exposed to violence than any other demographic in the U.S. or even in places like Canada as well. Yeah, I also heard that um, the word, I mean, the word genocide was also added into that. And then I I looked up some statistics and the statistics for uh, murdered and missing indigenous women was like, I think it was like 16%, whereas the, you know, for, so for every, I think it was like for every 100,000 in the population, um, it was 16% murdered or missing uh, for indigenous women when they were like 4% of the population. So it was some high percentage of uh, women of color, especially indigenous women, that their cases were either cold cases or just murdered with no, no, with, you know, nothing being solved or just missing. Right. Yes. Um, Especially here in the U S urban Indian health Institute, conducted a study to finally get some numbers, you know, on these cases. And they had found that, like, murder was the third leading cause of death for Native women. Oh, my goodness. And um, 84% of Native women are actually affected by some type of violence, be it physical, sexual, or psychological. Wow. So, Rosalie, um, this is Tori here. Um, so, I uh, actually, we had discussed the article that um, profiled you when you were running track. 
Um, tell us a little bit about like what spurred you to do that. Um, was there, you know, what was the reception of you doing that? Kind of just that story and in, in just in general of what what made your decision to go ahead and be use your platform as an athlete to be also an activist for this uh, cause. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a lot of people kind of learn, oh, this is what MMIW stands for, and this is what it means and for me and for a lot of uh, young Native youth and Native families growing up in these communities. It was more, I learned that what was happening to my family and my community had an acronym. So missing and murdered Indigenous women was something that I grew up with and mm-hmm. almost normalized hmm, to a yeah. point. And so when I saw, when I first learned about MMIW, the acronym, and then I learned that it wasn't just happening to my tribe here in the Pacific Northwest, it's happening, you know, in New Mexico and with the Navajo Nation, it's happening on the Pine Ridge Reservation and it's happening even in Canada. I decided that I wanted to do more and that it was something that needed action. So when I, you may or may not be familiar with her, her name is Jordan Marie Daniels. And she's a distance Lakota runner, and she actually ran in the Boston Marathon with the with the red handprint painted over her face to raise awareness. Hmm. So when I saw that picture of her when, with the handprint, I was already super inspired because to find another Native female runner is already really rare. Hmm. Let alone to find another Native female runner who's engaged and trying to make changes, and it was really empower, empowering to me. So I had spoken with her and gotten in contact with her, and she led me through the steps to be able that I could do what she was doing too. That's just awesome. That's yeah. really awesome. What did your coach think when you decided to do this? My coach, he has always been extremely supportive with these kinds of things and with my decisions and my goals. So when I told him, he was really worried at first. Everybody was because nobody likes it when the young native kid makes a scene. Mm, they, yeah. they didn't want people to give me a hard time or try to disqualify me. But he also knew that he wasn't going to be able to talk me out of it. Yeah. So he actually spent a lot of time looking up the state track meet rules and making sure there was absolutely no way that anybody could stop me. That's awesome. That's really mm-hmm. awesome. Wow. And I think that was one of the things that... Um, it, you know, when I saw your picture, that picture was probably just so powerful because, you know, when I emailed you, I told you growing up somewhere along the line, I knew I was not as valuable. Um, and that image of you with the red handprint over your mouth spoke volumes. I mean, it was like, to me, it hit me to my core. Like it was, that's why I didn't, I, you know, growing up, I did not feel valuable because mm-hmm. we were told, be quiet, be silent. Your voice does not matter. You aren't heard. Um, and, you know, I, I I was just like just so moved um, by seeing your picture and just like what what you were bringing to the table. Well, here, what you're bringing to the table um, to make people aware of, um, you know, just how. Uh, invisible we women of color are regardless of where and I and and here's the other thing is I didn't know that 
this was affecting other tribes and other reservations. I mean, this it, it, it this needs to really be something that people really um, become more aware of. Right. Yeah. So exactly. are you currently um, so you are out of high school now, correct? Yes. And uh, where, where are you at now? Are you in college somewhere? Yes, I'm actually running for um, Iowa Central Community College nice. at the moment. Right on. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited there. At first, I wasn't really sure, but they're a community college, and I thought, well, maybe I want to I want to shoot for bigger. But I look you know, when, uh, I looked at the program and whatnot, and they're competing with D1 colleges. I definitely knew I needed to get here. So I'm really happy. I'm really happy to be not only have the opportunity to continue running, but through being able to continue running, I can continue to advocate and raise awareness. Yeah, that was the other thing I wanted to ask you. So how has this um, changed your life? Has it, um, you know, do you feel like, you know, you've become more known and, you know, these little podcasters like us are reaching out to you. And I appreciate, <laughs> I totally appreciate, you know, that you're taking time with us. Um, but how has this changed your your life? Well, for me, um, I noticed it right away as soon as I started to run with my paint. So I put on and I put on um, the red hand print and the acronym down my leg, and it was already a little heavy just trying to walk around with it, just trying to be myself with the paint. Yeah. And then I came up to my first race which I dedicated to one of my aunts, um, Alice Looney, who was found deceased in 2004. And I got to the starting line ready to break, like, break some records. I wanted, I wanted to win. I was going to dominate the race. And I ran it, and I won, but it didn't feel the same as it usually does. Mm-hmm. And when I finished the race, and I felt my legs and my arms just felt super heavy and when one of the photographers comes up to me and he says well, how does it how do you feel now that you're a state champion and I just looking at him like what are you talking about mm-hmm. hey, I how are you happy right now mm. right yeah and that really that really changed my perspective on running because I've only run for myself before that point mm-hmm. and now I was running for other people I was running for a sad emotional cause and I was running on behalf of other women who didn't have the opportunity to do the things they loved, like run. Right, right. And that was really just uh, changed my entire perspective on running and and how I view it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's powerful. That's That's beautiful. Um, What, uh, what events do you uh, run? Um, I run everything from the two mile to the quarter mile. Woo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just impressed by anybody that can run more than a block because I'm no good it. at it. Right. So, <laughs> or that it. likes to run. I've never, I've never been a runner. I've played played sports my whole life, but running has never been my thing uh, by yeah. any means. So. And, and for me, it's not. I'm top heavy, so there ain't no way I can be running. Um. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Something. Oh, I said suddenly something that you kind of have to grow into. Yeah, I'm still trying, girl, and I'm like 46 years old, so <laughs> I, I don't know if it's there. <laughs> but I 100% support you and everyone else who does enjoy running. Um, you know, the other thing is, have you, were you able to meet other women that, um, or other families that, who have lost 
um, you know? Um, yeah, very, very often. So especially, you know, when people, when I'm there at an event, specifically to talk about my running or running for MMIW, um, there are people and Native families that will be there and just tell me about what happened and asking me to pray for for their loved ones. Uh. And I was also, I asked permission of each of the families before I dedicated my race to them. Yeah. So I, de- uh. I really try to, every time I get some kind of platform or really big opportunity to speak, I try to stay in contact with those families because those their voices are the ones that really need to be heard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but it's also the it's a fine line to walk because at the same time you don't want to keep re-traumatizing the families yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time we don't also want to forget them. Like I mean, you know, a cold case is a cold case, but if there's no push to get these murders solved. Cause, and that was the reason why I had this whole thing started was because I'm like, here you have this uh, white couple that had recently, which is tragedy when anybody dies. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the, it was an Australian, uh, I think it was a man and his girlfriend. They went traveling around in Canada. This is the recent story that came up and they were found on the highway of tears up there. And, you know, right away it was like, um, big manhunt looking for, you know, and then right. within a week you're, you know, they find these kids, serial killers and, you know, and then within another week they're discovered dead. And I'm like, well, what's happened to all these other women that have been dumped there? How, how is it that you can find, you know, two teenagers who committed this crime and can't find that, you know, somebody else that's dumping, you know, women and, and no clues, no nothing. How does that happen? I, you know, it just makes zero sense to me. Well, and that's, um, you know, something that the Urban Indian Health Institute actually had kind of called out is really, they found that when the Urban Indian Health Institute was trying to collect data in 2016, there was multiple agencies or police departments that either refused was outright refused to work with them hmm. or they would recall data about native women from memory hmm, or yeah. they, they didn't, they just classified them as white and didn't, didn't put their tribal affiliation or even never responded. They never oh. responded wow. for data. Wow. And I thought that really spoke for itself. I think it actually spoke volume to one of the main problems. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and that's where um, with the a lot of the women I ran I ran for were either let down or I murdered by the police actually. Wow. Yeah. And that's not to even discuss some of the, you know, this generational traumas that um, you know, indigenous women right. and, and youth and families, everything have had to endure. So Wow. I, I think that what you're doing is awesome. I applaud you for being such a young person. You are definitely my hero. I know if I was in high school with you, uh, I might not be running next to you, but I'd be cheering right next to you. So, um, But I think, you know, it's awesome. Do you like, do you feel like maybe, you know, when you're thrust into a movement and you're just growing up and you're, do you feel like, um, I don't like, there's this guilt of enjoyment. Like I'm young and I can, I should be able to enjoy my life, but then 
I got, you know, this burden on me to, I mean, do you feel any of that? Like this burden that I can't, you know, shouldn't be able to enjoy my life? Or are you feeling like, no, I, I can enjoy my life. And I think for me, there are times when it definitely becomes overwhelming. Yeah. But I would never refer to raising awareness as a burden. Yeah. Only because I've learned as I've gotten older that it's not fair for me to, when, when there's so many other Native people out there who wish that they could have their voices heard and wish they could work for a better future for their families and other Native communities, there's no real way that I could see what's happening or what I'm doing as a burden. I actually, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. here as a college, as a collegiate athlete, even, I mean, I'm really defying statistics and I said something that I want to embrace. I, I mean, it might be different than what I had imagined for sure. Yeah. But it's uh, something that, I know I need to do, and it actually, it really keeps me going, knowing that I can wake up and I can do something for other people, and specifically other Native people and other relatives in me. Awesome. That's awesome. awesome. Are you doing anything, uh, like, on campus? Uh, are you, like, uh, involved in any clubs or organizations on campus to uh, build awareness there? I am definitely, I have to wait for school to start. Oh, that's right. But, yeah, we're still in summer. <laughs> Sorry, I forget <laughs> those <okay>. times. <laughs> As, uh, we have to get here a month early. Screen. Yeah, so, that's so right. Yeah. Of people. Um, but I've already spoken with um, a few of the directors, like from Trio and things like that, and they've already let me know. Like, yes, we're planning on having you on our committee, on our, like the diversity and inclusion committee. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm going to also continue running with Paint. Oh, that's wow. awesome. That's, that's so awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, representation matters. We talk about that a lot on our podcast around, you know, making sure that we have voices at the table that have lived experience and um, and uh, can represent uh, different communities. And so I think that's great that the, the college is already looking forward to you being involved and you're going to be involved. And um, what is your plan? Is, is, it, is your plan to... Um, in terms of studying, where, where are you headed with your studies? Right now, um, I'm really just kind of trying to figure out what I'm into. I know that I like what I'm doing right now. I'm not kind of sure what career mm -hmm. that would create. But uh, right here at this kind of college, our main goal is to be ready to transfer to a bigger school. Yeah, right on. Right on. So, so get those general ads out the way. and Yeah, physically be able to run and be ready for that next level as well as being able to academically, you know, hold my ground and keep those grades. And through that, I'm, I'm thinking that along with help from my coaches and other teachers and academics here that I can find some kind of major or, de or degree path that would, that would help me continue to do what I do, but better and at a bigger scale. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome. And I like the way that you're looking at, you know, the support team that you have and, and reaching out to them, because I think a lot of kids, especially of color that go into, you know, higher learning, they go into mm -hmm. it with no support and then typically end up dropping out. So it's great to hear one that you are connected to so many other people there to help you. And, um, just enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy the ride. Enjoy your journey here. 
This is so awesome. Yeah. Thank I'm you. Really, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say something. I didn't want to cut you off. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was just saying, I'm really happy to, I have a really supportive team. And, you know, I had a lot of them, like, come up to me and hey, like, you know, I think what you're doing is, is really cool. And I want to, like, can you tell me more about it? Or, like, how can I support you? Yeah. And that meant a lot to know that I could come and I actually have a 55 or so person team, a big old, uh, huge team, and they can, those are people that I can rely on. Nice. Well, you can include two more people. That's right. I definitely, yeah. <laughs> you know, definitely am, you know, I've never met you, but at the minute I saw the article, I just felt this welling of pride. Like it's, it, it, it's un, it, it was undescribable. And, um, you know, after reading it, just tears welling up in my ears. Cause I had, like I told you, I had, uh, listen to the podcast finding Cleo, which is an awesome podcast for people to listen to, which talks about, you know, the history of, um, native American children being stripped from their families, like what we're clearly experiencing now in today's world with this Trump world and, you know, kids being migrant immigrant kids being pulled from their families and being, you know, separated from their families and, and the history of native Americans have experiencing that same thing is like, it's generational trauma and we continue to push that further and further. I mean, we're 2019 and we have not learned anything. And no. to me, it's just sad. But at the same time, I'm like, I am so happy to that people aren't being quiet, that you're not sitting down because it's I think it's easy for people just to sit down and just not do anything and just kind of, oh, it's my <laughs> life. But you have stood up and you're doing it with, you know, just such grace and beauty and wonderful. I, I just, I'm very proud, you know, proud to have seen you and be able to talk to you and you're my hero. So, you know, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much. No, yeah. And thank you. And I really, I really appreciate not, not all people would understand you know, the issue or really want to talk about it so with you being able to give me another platform to raise awareness and you know just inform people that means a lot to me and I really appreciate that so is there um for our listeners is there um a website uh where they can get more information or how or if they want to get involved is there something you know is there merchandise I can purchase that has that you know your your logo on it your something so I could also you know, support you and um, the cause? Well, we don't, I don't think, uh, we really, I don't have any kind of merchandise or anything like that. But um, the Urban Indian Health Institute, if you just look, if we look up the name, Urban Indian Health Institute, and then look up MMIW report, okay. it actually, a beautifully written report that is easy to read and extremely informative and gets straight to the point. Um, it has displays and things like that. And I think that's where a lot of people should start off is maybe just understanding, you know, the issue and what goes into it and understanding the numbers. And then um, I really would say um, supporting the Urban Indian Health Institute or the Sovereign Bodies Institute, because both of those, um, yeah, both of those places really uh, support Native women and things like trying to fund um like domestic violence shelters and things yeah. like that. 
Right on. Well, we'll definitely uh, put those on our, our Facebook page and the links and whatnot. Um, you're incredibly humble um, to not make it about yourself. So I think that's beautiful. And, you know, like Sylvia said, we're freaking proud of you. And you got two fans out here in the Northwest and Portland area. So um, we'll definitely keep your um, cause going, at least on our um our site and and the people that we uh influence yeah let us know if you're ever running a meet down here and then we'll be right yeah, there that's good and I, I live in um washington so all right sure cool. the- yeah okay. we're here in portland oregon all right <laughs> well um good luck in your um college life in your track and and everything that you do and we're we'll definitely be keeping our eyes out for you and and see how things go for you out there Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to talk to us. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for coming to the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. 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 All right. We will take a take break, break and be right back. All right. We're back from our break and our call and. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was freaking awesome. She's going to be amazing. For sure. For sure. She is. I believe the children are our future. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got to lighten up the mood. I know. That was really serious. Very serious. And it I mean, is it's a serious. serious. It's, it's a serious, serious thing. Yes. You know, and as I said, I'm like, again, and we say this all the time. Yep. As as women of yep. color, as people of color. Bring it. We're invisible. And, and this is another, you know, Mm -hmm. another movement. It's, I I guess it's because I'm tired of always movement, movement, movement. Right. Yes. You know? Yes. And there was an article that somebody had sent me, um, and it was called, um, whiteness on the couch. And it's by a, um, mental health professional who, was exactly talking about that. Like people of color are always asked, how does it feel to be a person of color in America? Mm. But the question is never how to white people. How does it feel to be white in America? Oh, interesting. What is your white oh, experience? Shit. You know, oh. when you have anxiety, what's that anxiety really about? Mm-hmm. And how does white play a role mm-hmm. in it? Because as people of color, mm-hmm. we can go back and say, well, these are intergenerational traumas. Yeah. Well, as a white person, you're having to go between this white supremacy and then you, where do you fit in that? Mm-hmm. And how do you accept that? And that anxiety of, am I really this okay with this white supremacy stuff? No. And then you're fighting back with, but mm-hmm. I got friends that are, but I get yep. the privilege, but, but wait, yep. you know, so to me, it's like, I think <sighs> these are conversations that we, you know, that should be had. Like, it can't just be all about people of color. It should well, be. Well, yeah, we say know. that all the time. Is yeah. it, It's not people of color's job or a marginalized person's job to teach you why you shouldn't be a bigot or a racist. Yeah. Or how you are bigoted and racist. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you're saying this because I just recently purchased a book, um, uh, by Ibram Kendi, um, and it's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Oh. And so it's the concept of it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist because many white people who are well-meaning white people are, an- are, are not racist. 
but they're not anti-racist. Yeah. And what it means to be anti-racist in a nutshell is it means to look at every rule, every policy, every law, every organization with an anti-racist lens. Yeah. And that if we just say, what did he just, God, I should have brought it because I was reading it and I was like, this makes so much more sense. That we, basically we all could be racist. He yeah. even says people of color yeah. can be racist. Now, I'm a little bit like on the fence of like, okay, how does that, but I'm open. I'm open yeah. to reading the book and figure out, you know, why does he say that? And because he talks about an incident where he was um, in high school and he was giving a speech and basically he looks back at it and he was spewing this spewing racist things mm -hmm. in that he was going from that point of view of like, we as black people need to pick ourselves up and we need to, you know, call out the drug dealers and da 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 and how that is a racist way of doing things. Right. right? Cause we blame the thing instead of the policies that create the thing, the thing, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the new Jim Crow laws that create, um, so that people of color and black people are less likely to move up the socioeconomic ladder. Um, so it, it, do, it doesn't create equity, it, right. you know, so. Especially when there are white drug dealers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Dealers. And that, um, they come in all shapes. Despite of all that black, black men, particularly that committed drug offenses spent more time on average in prison than white people who committed person to person crimes. Right. Like, right. yeah. hello, yeah. that's what we're talking about yeah. is the racism within the system. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I like that question of we never ask people, like, what is it like to be white? Right. You know, just yeah. like, you know, I mean, when was the first time you realized you were white? Yeah. You probably don't even know because right. your, your privilege allows you not to have to realize right. your whiteness. And then the shame that comes with it if you feel like, right. oh, man, here I am in this. If you're a white male. And you are woke. You got to be feeling some kind of way. But oh, yeah. Nobody asks, how do you feel? Like, right. Wh what are yeah. your thoughts? Like, to right. be, you know, to have all this privilege and, you know, what, how does that affect you? And how does that affect, yeah. you know? And it's interesting, too, I think about in terms of uh, in service work, right? Mm -hmm. We're both in the human service field. Yeah. And so the difference of encountering a person that we're working with that is racist, the difference of feelings and things that we go through versus maybe our white counterparts, mm -hmm. right? Um, I had a s interesting in experience. I've had multiple experiences across my career when you're in the room with that person and they start espousing racist viewpoints and yeah. not that they're like full on racist bigots, you know, yeah. proud boys yeah. like that are downtown Portland today. Um, but just that white ignorance. Yeah. Right. And the visceral feeling you get when you start hearing it. Yeah. And like, I don't get nothing. Right. What do you mean right. I, exactly. You know? Right. Yeah. So how that hits us differently than it may be, does a person, a white person that's in that profession, because maybe there's something in back of that white person's head that is like, yeah, well, that is kind of, you know, yeah. like espousing those same beliefs, right? Yeah. Because that implicit bias lives in everybody. Well, yeah. So um, I, I was thinking just, you know, having another experience recently in, in my work of this happening and thinking they teach us a lot in our professions, but do they teach people of color who do the helping profession how to navigate that right 
And that's why then that led me to think that's why affinity groups for employees of colors is so important in organizations Yeah, because it offers a space for people of color to go and be like, okay, you get me. I don't yeah. have to explain that to you. Right. Like even sitting here, I don't have to explain that to yeah. you. I don't have to explain that visceral feeling you get yeah. in the room when you're dealing with that yeah. and offering those spaces for employees of color to have that. I hate the term, but safe space yeah. to go and be like at least one hour a month or a week or however it's set up. I can go and be with people like me who have similar experiences and not have to explain myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also talk with each other and say, OK, how do you handle it? Or, hey, can I email you or call you in, during the day if I'm having a, a rough moment? You know, mm -hmm. and those groups, affinity groups and spaces need to be on paid time. Yeah. Right. It shouldn't have to be a sacrifice of, well, I got to take half of my lunch to go to this group yeah. to support me. Because if we look at truly trauma informed care, which most agencies in Oregon are trying to do that. Trauma-informed care requires peer support services, right? Mm -hmm. Not just for the clients, but for the people who do the job. So there should be an avenue for people of color and employees of color to go and get support from peers when we're dealing with stuff like that. Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. I know. So heavy. 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 We, like, we try to be seriously <laughs> funny on our podcast, but this is a little bit more serious today. Well, and that's okay. I think wasn't our second episode when we had some heavy stuff when we were talking about suicide, mental health. Yeah, actually, one know? of the first ones. Yeah, we did talk about that. We had to do trigger warning and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, and I think too for me, part of it, the heavy feeling is because of what happened today in Portland with the Proud Boys infiltrating our city. These people are not from Portland. Mm -hmm. These racist Proud Boys are not from Portland. Maybe some of them are, right. but they are bringing other people in to try to say Portland is their city yeah. and we're going to take over Portland. Yeah. And then we have this kind of lukewarm response by our city government. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was reading online, I was watching it all day online, like, you know, what was happening. And so apparently one of the bridges at one point was closed down so that the Proud Boys couldn't get down to downtown Portland. And instead of just keeping him there, the fucking police let them through. Wow. They let the, they open the bridge and let them come downtown. So I think part of my heaviness feeling today is knowing that these hateful people are in our city using free speech as their, excuse to hate to, yeah. and to preach hate yeah. and to say things that aren't true. And then, you know, then you have people, white people that may not fully support them, but will excuse the behavior. Of course. Right. They'll just say things like, oh, well, they're just, you know, conservative or they're anti-government. Or, or, or they're the, uh, like, here's the other thing is people don't even know what Antifa is. Mm -hmm. And they just, oh, yeah, these are anti-government. No, these folks are against hate. They're anti-fascist. Yes. <laughs> and so, Fascism is, is, bad, is bad, in case you didn't know. Fascism is bad. Yeah. <laughs> and and in every, in every pocket of mm -hmm. groups, you're always going to have somebody that is at the extreme and will go violent means. And, By any means you know, necessary. And so but what i dis totally dislike is we've haven't had any marches where antifa's run over protesters right Ex exactly uh, you know uh, and so it's to me it's like <sighs> when they talk about these proud boys and these national neo nazis and white nationalists it's like you know what they're spewing hate and they're they've killed people hate 
They don't want to see me. They, yeah. They want me gone. Exactly. They want me, whether it's six feet under or a uh, out, out of the country. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know where, but it, go, go back that, home. That's like it fringes on my own Absolutely. pursuit of happiness. Right. Isn't that part of the Constitution? Yeah. My pursuit of well, happiness. But your, their Constitution isn't our Constitution. Right. See? That's what. And, and, you know, and to me, I'm yeah. like, look. We had the Civil War. Mm-hmm. You lost, baby. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. Isn't that what they love to say about Right? Get over you know, it? Exactly. Get over it. Yeah. Trump said, get over it. Well, well, and that's the thing, is you have even fucking Trump tweeting tweeting today saying that Antifa is being watched as a being to be can potentially uh, categorized as a terrorist uh, yes. group. Motherfuckers, they have not killed anybody. Every fucking mass shooting that we have seen other than a smattering of two or three, the most recent one in El Paso was by a person who espoused the same white nationalist viewpoints as these fucking proud boys, as these fucking douchebag white nationalist neo-Nazi people. They kill people. That is terrorism. But yet you want to go after a group of people who, yes, commit some acts of property and damage and violence against Nazis. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd rather see someone punch a Nazi than, you know, punch someone else. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, so yeah, that's the, the irony of it is that you have this, like they're terrorists, anything that supports equality, equity, people of color. I mean, black lives matter movement. They tried to to try to label that as a racist or a, a terrorist organization, extremist yeah. organization. Yeah. So anytime it it rallies the the margins and says, okay, we're going to come together and we're going to, you know, fight for the rights of the the marginalized. Yeah. Oh, now you're a terrorist, or now yeah. you know this government, this fucking orange buffoon government is is fascist. Right. They're and, fascist. Right. And uh, our commissioner, our city commissioner Joanne Hardis, she put mm-hmm. you know she put something out on Facebook about what was right. coming mm-hmm. and what as city government, what their responses need to be considering Mm -hmm. that, you know, Portland had said, Hey, we are an anti hate, you know, community. And so, um, what caught me was, you know, she quotes James Baldwin, um, and says, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist boom that's the difference yep when we talk about freedom of speech but it's about oppressing me yep and my humanity and my freedom to exist yep that is when yeah that's where it ends yeah and that's when like this whole argument and we've talked about this before this whole argument of like oh you shouldn't delete people on facebook for supporting trump yeah it's Started as soon as we, I realized Trump is a fucking racist. Yeah. I mean, I think I realized it early, early on, yeah. but um, <laughs> some people were a little slow to come to the table on that one um, because of what you just said. Mm-hmm. His racism and his nationalism and his fascism is rooted in the extermination of people that I love and care about, including myself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People close to me, whether it's people of color, LGBTQ or both. His policies and practices and procedures are racist and he is trying to eliminate them. And so if you're supporting him, you're supporting and 
you're supporting racism mm -hmm. and you're complicit in racism. This is the difference. Are you not racist or are you anti-racist? Anti-racist is you would not support him. It would not matter what supposed fiscal uh, yeah, thing, benefits you know, tax, he, yeah. you know, and I'm sorry, unless you're in the fucking ultra wealthy and most that of the people that I know who support Trump that. I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm even friends with them anymore, but yeah. before when they were friends with me, I, I know for sure, bitches, you ain't even close to that. Oh yeah. Right. So are, let's talk about your tax returns last yeah. year. How much did you end up having to pay? Yeah. A lot. And you're still supporting him. So it's no longer about fiscal. Yeah. It's about hate and you're, and you're okay with it. You're complicit in the hate and the racism. He's mm -mm. Yeah. Well, we haven't even got to a story yet, no. and we're going deep, but that's okay. It's episode 25. That's what we do. <laughs> go we deep. Quarter to a... <laughs> there we go. Now we're getting back All to right. it. Uh, do you want to do a story real quick? And we got a little bit of time before we have to take another break. Do you got a story um, to start us off? Uh, well, it's, you know, I was looking through my stories after these, <laughs> and I'm like, a lot of them are still, like, deep, like, mm -hmm. you know, and then... A lot like, okay, so my first one that I pulled up was that uh, Representative Steve King says rapes, incest helped populate the world. Rape and incest helped. Oh, I yeah. saw that yeah. one. Yeah. So I, I was bringing that about that you jiggling that your me? stuff around. Is yeah. that me? Um, yeah, that's so pinching so my ear. I, that's why I brought it. <laughs> I, you know, I was bringing it up because I was like, oh, I'm gonna get oh, heated off of this, this one. Um, and so I, but then at the same, like here, and I'm like, dude, why do I, why, how many, uh, I, you know, I'm just like, do, why do I got to keep bringing it up and talking about it? Mm. Why is it that this can't, yeah, I think I, that's I the thing. I, I think it's the thing is we like woke I, again, I got to say, come right. on people, let's wake we, up. People get woke. Let's get them woke <laughs> up. Can we just get woke Can, please? Right. To what these people that you are voting for what are they saying not just oh i like him he looks great on tv right what is he saying and what is he standing for yeah because i don't believe that a majority of uh america really truly will stand behind his comments like you will have people that will stand behind his comments just because they're oppressive and feel like, oh, well, we right. got to be so, more into Gilead. So the majority, than, a majority of our of our country would not say that. What what did he say? Would again? not agree that because this we were he was rape talking and about populates. Yeah, the so world. that's why we should just so that's it, we should be okay with you know it. with with uh, banning abortion. So that's. You know, because people would say, well, what about in cases of incest, right. rape? But basically he said, well, we have to keep our population. We don't. Right. We have 7 billion people on this planet. Right. We don't have to keep our population growing. And, and to me, it's like, <laughs> so, yes, a lot of this rape, that that's because they had no options. Right. Exactly. They didn't have abortions that they could get right. to. So, so a majority of people hopefully wouldn't agree with that. Uh, that's as what I would hope. Stance. Yes. We would hope. We would so, hope. Why do we have to keep talking about it? I think that's why we have to keep talking about it. Because there are people out there that don't pay attention, right? They don't pay attention to the the little things like that that matter, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the story you brought up last time about the school board um, yeah. in, was that Georgia? Uh, I think it was Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Was yeah, because yeah. it was, uh, it was uh, Jimmy Carter's. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy yeah. Carter's uh, uh, state. 
This little is hometown. That these things matter. These yeah. small little uh, offices, these small little school boards, that representation matters. Mm-hmm. And when you're not paying attention to that and you think, oh, either because of apathy, you're like, well, it doesn't matter. Right. So why even bother? Right. Well, then that allows it to happen. Right. So, and then that's where we have posters of inappropriate hairstyles yep, yep. for, you know, African-Americans on the walls right. of the school. Yeah, exactly. You, you create know. rules that are racist. Yes. Because that, you have people in there that yeah. aren't woke. Exactly. Because you assume that this means bad and this means good. And this means bad is usually informed by the media and the bullshit that you watch and hear all day that is filtered through a lens of racism and bigotry and you know non-anti-racist type things so uh, i don't know yeah i guess we talk about it because we have to talk about it because who else is gonna talk about it Uh, yeah who else (laughs) not like us anyway all right, so then uh, should we take a break? Let's take a let's... break and then try to get into some stories. Yeah, let's get into All some right. stories. All right, we're back from our breaky break. All right, two. What are you bringing to the table? What are you bringing to the table? Story number one. Let's go. All let's right, do here this. Here we go. And I, you know, I'm. We're in it now. We're, in, we're it. in it. We're back to our mode. So, armed man arrested at Walmart. His quote: "It was foolish." No regret. So in Springfield, Missouri, a man who walked into the Missouri Walmart wearing body armor and carrying loaded weapons acknowledged the timing was bad, but said he didn't intend to hurt anyone and doesn't regret his actions. White man. Dimitri Andrachin. This guy's from Gresham. Did you know that? This Dimitri? This guy is from Gresham. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he went all the way to Missouri? I don't know if he was living or, out there, uh-huh. um, but yeah, go ahead and, okay. and I'll bring up. Yeah. So Dmitry Andrechenko, 20, so he must be Russian, He, you know, 20, is charged with making a terrorist threat after the August 8th incident at a Walmart in Springfield. He filmed himself walking through the store with the weapons, prompting shoppers and employees to flee. No shots were fired before off-duty firefighter held Andrachinko at gunpoint until police arrived and arrested him. Andrachinko said in a probable cause statement that he was testing whether Walmart would protect his right to openly carry weapons. The incident came just 20, just days. uh, Yeah. The incident came just days after 22 people were killed during an attack at another Walmart in El Paso, Texas. And Andrachinko, who is free on bond and facing a felony charge of making a terrorist threat, told KYTV he never intended to hurt anyone and was surprised by the reaction. You fucking idiot. (laughs) Okay. So basically, he just wanted to test whether they would confront him about open carry opening carry i i guess and thought hey uh, what's oh the problem here god you just are just days after 22 people were killed in walmart like i'm like idiot. if that is true go to sports you know dick sports in good store what is and do this? that what I, is this why did gotta go to walmart well and i mean just the whole like oh i want to like go and test it out yeah Given everything that has happened, given everything that's going on. So he says, it was foolish. I didn't give it a thought. It was so innocent that I didn't even think this would happen. 
innocent <laughs> that's is fucking reckless you douchebag that, that's the word right there it's, it's fucking reckless. reckless and insensitive and yes. not thought through yeah so yes i brought up the article because i had seen this earlier yeah and because it, it was posted um locally um former gresham high school student oh so he is yeah. From, okay yeah so he's from uh he let's see what does it say uh attended gresham high school during 2013-14 school year and then attended the district's web academy for a portion of 14-15 school year um he did not graduate well there you go <laughs> maybe if you would have stayed in, in school, school dimitri you, yeah or, you might have known so Andrychenko said he talked to a Walmart manager before he arrived at the store and was told he was allowed to openly carry a weapon in the store. Since January 2017, Missouri has not required a permit to openly or conceal carry a firearm for or those yeah, wow. for those 19 years or older. Walmart said in a statement that it allows concealed and open carry in stores if it is legal in the jurisdiction where the stores are located. Customers who are uncomfortable should contact a manager. Uh, you know what? I wonder if those 22 that were killed, did they have an opportunity to reach right. a manager? Yeah. Because they were uncomfortable with Well, and I, I go back to the story a, a couple of years ago or a year or so ago about the black man who was on the phone with his girlfriend and had picked up a BB gun from the shelf and was just standing there with it, like, like kind of like, using it as a yeah. cane and just standing there. And then a white man called the police and he was killed. The black man was killed. This was at a Walmart? Yes, this was at a Walmart. Oh my gosh. So if there's no problem with open and carrying at Walmart, then what's the problem? Then why the fuck was this man? Well, we know because he was black. Yeah. And he Especially had... if they're selling the BB gun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, he picked it up off of the shelf. Uh, so it wasn't even like it was behind in a case or anything. Yeah. Like he had, picked it up and was standing in the, you could, the video shows him standing in the aisle. It's not, he's not pointing it or anything, yeah. but the dude that called 911 claimed he was pointing it at people when the police, you know, arrived and then, then backtracked and said that he, that's, that's not what he was doing. Yeah. Ugh. So an earlier statement, Walmart called the incident a reckless act designed to scare people, disrupt our business, and it put our associates and customers at risk and said Andrichenko is no longer welcome in its stores. Andrichenko said the rifle was holstered and he didn't touch it after putting it on. He contended shoppers didn't seem shocked or panicked until a store employee pulled a fire alarm. <laughs> Andrichenko said he always carries a gun, vest, and ammunition in his car for protection. And because he... Protection from what? I don't... The mafia? I don't know. The Russian mafia? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that he frequently practices shooting at a range. I just want people to know there was no evil to what I did. This was not a hate-inspired act. This was purely innocent. The timing was just no. So you knew off. what you were doing, yeah. Dimitri. Yeah, you knew what yeah. you were doing. You got your fifteen minutes of yeah. fame, boo. You like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna arm myself up and put on my vest right. and walk through Walmart and see and if see anybody calls do. the police on me. Right, and You're then I'm gonna sue. Douche. Yeah, uh, go home. Hey, not here. No, home no, here. don't come home. Yeah, stay there. <laughs> stay there. Face, face. Your legal stuff. Stay there. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the, 
and then here's the shitty thing too, right? Around gun control. So this fucking dude commits an act that that act that is clearly being deemed reckless mm-hmm. with a firearm, mm-hmm. and he won't lose his right to have a firearm. No, I don't. Probably I mean, not. I don't see probably it's not. Just a misdemeanor, right? Almost, I mean, so, and I don't know unless what the, the judge out there says no, you will no longer, as a part of your plea mm-hmm. or part of your sentencing, you will no longer be allowed to have any own any firearms, which yeah. I doubt will happen. But that's the thing. Here's someone who blatantly shows recklessness in regards to firearms that probably shouldn't be allowed to have a firearm because he clearly doesn't use good judgment with them. Uh, clearly not. So he shouldn't be allowed. He should be not allowed to have them. Like if this And if we his... had any kind of sensible gun control fucking laws, that would be part of the sentencing. Now, okay, here come the gun nuts. Oh, well, he could just go get one if he wanted one illegally. Yes, he could. But... Just because someone drunk drives drunk, we don't say, well, he could drive drunk again, so we're not going to take his license away. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. All right. What story do you got? Hopefully a light one. Oh, Oh, now it's on me to find something light? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily light, but it's kind of related. Oh. Oregon Walmart employees staging a walkout to protest gun sales. Awesome. I like that. <laughs> so roughly four forty white collar Walmart employees are walked are here here walked out Wednesday afternoon to protest the retailers' gun policies after the deadly shootings in two company stores. Workers at Walmart's e-commerce commerce offices in Oregon and Brooklyn were also taking action to urge the oh, so the original one was in California. Mm-hmm. Um, to urge the world's largest retailer to stop selling guns and discontinue donations to politicians who receive funding from the NRA. Walmart sells guns in about half of its 4,750 U.S. stores, making it one of the nation's largest retailers of firearms and ammunition. The protest comes after a gunman killed 22 people in El Paso. Um, there's an intense irony that Walmart continues to sell guns despite the constant shootings in its stores, said Kate Kesner, an e-commerce employee in San Bruno, California, who helped organize the protest. Organizers also started Change.org petition to call the company's executives to stop selling firearms. As of Wednesday's evening, it had more than 38,000 signatures. Randy Hargrove, a Walmart spokesman, said the company has encouraged workers to voice their opinions in other ways. Of course they are. Uh, Yeah. Um, There are more effective channels such as email, as email or leadership conversations. The vast majority of our associates who want to share their views are taking advantage of those options. But Thomas Marshall, 23 category specialist at Walmart who helped organize the walkout said that workers no longer want to be complicit by working for a company that profits profits off of the sale of firearms. He accused Walmart of retailing against him, retaliating against him and Kesner by shutting down their company email and Slack accounts on Tuesday after the sent the division wide email to roughly 20,000 e-commerce employees urging to join their efforts. He said Wednesday that this, his account had been restored. So they shut him down. Retaliation. They don't want, want them to, to organize. They want them to come to the leadership and say, I think we should do this. And the leadership will say, well, no, no, that's not the right time. Or that's not what we do. And blah, blah, blah. 
Um, uh, and that's only if there's a, uh, yeah, we can schedule you an appointment. Right. When would you like to come? Oh, maybe oh, we'll, five form, weeks, maybe five we'll form a committee and a work yeah. group and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we about, talk about this that. and then we'll have a committee meeting. And then after that committee meeting, yeah. we'll, do, we'll review the findings and then, you know, two, you three know, the other thing I find is, um, when I, you know, you look at the videos and stuff and you see, you know, this is strange stuff that's happening at Walmart. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, I mean, Walmart has, is known for having those strange type of customers. Mm -hmm. So you could just figure that these employees have probably been talking about their safety because this mm -hmm. is what they're really talking yeah. about is yeah. we, we deserve to be in a safe space yeah. Yeah. to work. Yeah. And we've probably been talking to you all about, you know, just the kind of customers that we're getting and just the security, lack of security or and these um, shootings have just been the last straw. Right. Because I could see that happening. Exactly. The last straw. Usually, yeah. if a company is on top of it, we wouldn't be hearing petitions being signed by employees. We would be hearing employees saying, hey, we're having great conversations. Mm -hmm. We're talking right. about these things. Exactly. Movement is happening. Exactly. But these workers have probably been trying to sit at the table to right. talk. Yeah, they probably, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and it does say in this article too. Um, so one of the per persons, um, if it didn't, if it didn't do, if I didn't do something today, I would be party to making money off weapon sales. Marshall said, we're trying to start a conversation. And then he later said, um, people are really afraid of their jobs. He said, Walmart has a reputation for silencing dissent. So exactly that. Retaliate. The reason why he that. didn't go to the top and say, I want to have this conversation about maybe we shouldn't sell firearms at our stores anymore, or we're not feeling safe or whatever mm -hmm. is it would have been shut down. Retaliated. I want to use that word retaliated. Yeah. Walmart is well known for retaliating, retaliating, silencing its employees, not paying a fair wage, encouraging its employees to get on welfare. Mm -hmm. So they don't pay them. They don't give them enough hours to be full time or get health care. So what they do is they tell them, well, you can apply for welfare. Yeah. So when we talk about welfare queens, mm -hmm. well, Walmart is the biggest welfare queen, mm -hmm. queen out there. Mm -hmm. They are uh, reaping the benefits of the fucking tax breaks mm -hmm. that fucking douchebag Trump put in place, making billions upon billions of dollars, and also having mo the majority of its employees on welfare. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when we talk about welfare, we're not talking about people that aren't working. And, and the other thing is, when we also talk about welfare is, you can only make a certain amount before that money is exactly. gone. Exactly. Yeah. So you stay in that line of right. poverty. You. This is the way to keep people in poverty. Yeah. Ugh. Fuck Walmart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that right. was my sort of feel good story. Well, that was a feel good. Well, well was, I guess people was, coming together yeah, yeah. and, you know, for, fight the system. Yes. Fight yeah, the for system. sure. Yeah. All right. All right. What else you got? All right. So here's mine. Because uh, we had talked about this uh, suicide before. So uh, police departments confront epidemic in officer suicides. Oh. New York. A rash of suicides of police officers has shaken the New York Police Department, leading the commissioners to declare a mental health emergency and highlighting the problem of untreated depression among law enforcement officers nationwide. Mm. On Wednesday, Robert Echeverria, 56, became the ninth NYPD officer to take his own life this year. His death came a day after another officer, Johnny Rios, 35, killed himself. 
The deaths have come despite the department's mounting efforts to encourage officers to seek help for depression and other mental health problems. After two officers killed themselves on back-to-back days in June, Police Commissioner James O'Neill sent a letter, a note reminding the more than 36,000 officers and 19 civilians in the NYPD that help is available if they're feeling depressed, hopeless, and contemplating self-harm. But the deaths continued. It's extraordinarily painful, Mayor Bill de Blasio said Thursday. We have lost officers in the past, but this concentration is devastating. We're going to do everything conceivable to help officers and to stop this. Uh, you know, I don't know what he's talking about mm. as far as like conceivable. Yeah. When, um, you know, you make it almost impossible for people to really go and seek help. Right. You know, so the suicides have been reoccurring nightmare for the nation's largest police force and have driven a discussion about the psychology, the psychological toll of police work, which is what we've talked about. Right. Exactly. A profession in which discussing mental health has long been seen as taboo. Yeah. This is something that no one ever spoke about. O'Neill said. I don't know why he says that no one has ever. We here hey, we have what, what are you, you bringing, bringing to the, the table, table podcast have discussed We've been it. talking about it. So, no, boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then law enforcement leaders around the country say they are hoping to change that mindset. Uh, Don, ugh, I don't even want to put that P word in front of Donald Trump. Donald Trump recently signed a Trump. bill <laughs> Authorizing up to 7.5 million in grant funding um, for a year for police suicide prevention efforts, mental health screenings, and training to identify officers at risk. Um, uh, training to identify officers. Ev- all we know officers that they're at risk. At this risk. is not. This is that's not the. That's not the funding we need to find out. But Whoops. I'm saying we, we every know that person they're at risk. in that position. Know. Yeah. Is going to be affected. Yeah, exactly. So why are you it's called secondary? Tra- yes, trauma, traumatic stress. There should stress. be a system already right. in place to say every officer needs this for their own mental right. wellness. Yep, their own mental yep. health. Yep. Not we're waiting until you start to feel right. helpless exactly. and depressed. Yes. And no, it should be just like they go on runs. And you should have, you have to keep up your physical wellness to be a police officer, or you should. Yes. I mean, we've seen some well, potbelly police some. officers out yeah. there that I think, Lord, help help me if I need their help. <laughs> right. Um, but physical wellness is always promoted in law enforcement. Yes. Mental health also needs to be promoted just as equally. Yes, for right? sure. So it says suicide claims more officers' lives annually than violence in the line of duty. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Um, so this is an epidemic, um, said Brandy Sutton, a former Las Vegas police lieutenant who founded the Wounded Blue, another law enforcement advocacy agency. The suicide rate among police officers is about 16% per 100,000, according to 2013 figures, the latest available from the Center of Disease Control and Prevention Database. The suicide rate among the general population has climbed to about 14 per 100,000, according to the CDC, its highest point since World War II. Yeah. So the general suicide rate is also climbing. Yes, but it's... More so for police officers, right? They're oh yeah, dispro- yes. they're they're over 
yeah, overrepresented in, in there. Suicide. The essence, yeah. the essence of the police culture is that you don't ever show weakness. Yeah, you don't show emotion. Yeah, and if you can't handle it, this isn't the job for you. Yeah, and and uh, he said that um, that bleeds over into your personality, and cops develop this sort of hard shell, and it create and they create that culture too, yes. right? So yeah, um, it creates the culture and the the locker room culture, if yeah. you will, of. Oh, you're a Dehum- pussy. And, you're a oh, pussy. You can't and then also it. dehumanizing yeah. who you're in contact right. with. Yeah, exactly. So if I can make them our enemy and they're the problem, and then if I don't show any emotion about what happens, mm-hmm. then I'm a better police officer. Yeah. It's this whole yeah. culture of yeah. if you're if you can't handle it, then you should just get out of the right. profession. Right. And, you know, and officers, for the most part, I, you know, see officers, they like their job. They like to be, you know, working with the general population. And it's like, but it takes a toll after a while when you're, you know. Well, and then I think if you also look at the fact that then most of them turn to alcohol. Yeah. Which is not any better for your depression. No. (laughs) So then you got people walking around with depression, traumatic response, traumatic dare I say PTSD from the job that they do. Yeah. Engaging in more alcohol use, engaging in toxic masculinity culture. Mm -hmm. So inside they are dying. Yeah. But they put on this front of this toxic masculine bravado of, oh, I'm a cop and I'm a badass and I can handle it and I don't cry. And then that bleeds down to the people around them. I mean, if they have children. Yeah. They have sons, yeah. particularly. I mean, I've worked with kids whose parents, you know, boys whose parents are police officers, and it was sad yeah. to, to hear the kid talk about how they couldn't have their emotion because their dad is that. Yeah, is the that hard shell. ingrained culture of yeah. we don't do crying in this house. Yeah. You need to be a man. Right. No emotion. Yeah. So it goes on to say that in many departments, the last thing supervisors want to hear is that a gun-toting officer is showing signs of instability. Uh, That was a mindset several years ago in Phoenix when Officer Craig Tiger fell into a spiral of self-destruction after fatally shooting a man who had been threatening people with a bat. It took a drunken driving arrest a year after the 2012 shooting for Tiger finally to be admitted to a behavioral health center where he was diagnosed with PTSD. See, there you go. Said his ex-wife. Took the alcohol. Mm -hmm. In group session, Tiger realized he had many of the same, and I was just about to say that as you were talking, but he says had the same symptoms as combat veterans. Of course. Of course. Because you're doing the same thing. Yes. Right? Uh, he had witnessed death firsthand and for many years self-medicated with alcohol. I think very often police officers don't want to admit to others that they are suffering. Um, the department never talked about PTSD. It was never brought up in training. Police chief at the time fired Craig Tiger, which then adds to the you depression, know continued depression right? yep. following um, his arrest. Tiger yep. killed himself a little more than a year later. Shit. Yeah. If citizens called up to the police department and said, I'm suicidal, we'd rush over there and help him. Uh, the wife said, 
of the the officer that killed himself. Um, Craig told me for months that he was suicidal and I couldn't get any help for him. Jesus. Arizona enacted a law last year known as Craig Tiger Act, which compensate officers for treatment of PTSD. It affords them up to 36 hours of counseling or 36 counseling visits after being involved in a traumatic off the job incident. Why does it have Why to do be you about have to do a that? traumatic? It should be preventative. It yeah. should be. And here's my thing is, yes, most agencies, most public service agencies have employee assistance programs, right? Mm-hmm. Where they offer you six free sessions per episode, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem is, is you still have to have time to be able to go do that, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have to have enough sick time in order to take that time to go see your therapist and so you can be well on the job. Instead of just saying, we're going to give you these six hours of dedicated time apart from your sick time, yeah. right? If you need to access EAP or counseling for anything yeah, at any point in time in your job, you shouldn't have to have a fucking crisis to, to get free to, counseling. That's right. And it I should just be like, we want you to be well. Yeah. Here are six sessions. You have six hours of additional time that you can use for those sessions. You just mm-hmm. have to mark it in your fucking timesheet and go. Yeah. You don't have to have a crisis to do this. Yeah. Because the work that you do is stressful enough and it's going to cause you stress. It's going to cause you secondary trauma and it's going to cause you toxic stress, which toxic stress can kill you. Right. Ugh. Can you? Yeah. Speaking of the choir, we got to take a break. Yeah. Is it, is it done? I'm sorry. Yeah. Are no, you no, done? No. Yeah. I'm done. All I'm right. done. I think we got the gist of We got the gist. Yeah, we got the gist. All right. Let's take a break. All right. All right. We're All right. back. What do you bring into the table? What do you bring into the table? Aren't it? Um, I'm going to bring this t- this story. I mean, I guess it's kind of an update, but not really an update. No, well, we, we know that Epstein allegedly committed suicide. Right? Oh, okay. And allegedly the mag- medical, exam- medical examiner confirmed that. But allegedly. He- I'm Alex Jones in this shit. I already told you I was. <laughs> I just feel like there's, there's more to happening. this story. Um, but there for, is the leprechauns the creeped updates. in there. You don't know. You don't know. We don't know how the inner workings of things work. Um, so this is kind of related to Epstein. Um, unsealed documents detail alleged Epstein victims recruitment at Mar-a-Lago. That's why it wasn't a suicide. Oh, that's why I'm Alex Jones in this shit. So you think, uh, Dude had too much information on too many powerful people. Allegedly. He had information on powerful people. Allegedly. No, he did. I mean, I'm we just know saying, that, right? Allegedly. You do, you do know our, that he our attorneys was... are saying we've got to use allegedly. <laughs> he, okay, so allegedly he was accused of child sex trafficking, yes. which involved very powerful people. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Okay. So a trove of court documents unsealed Friday detailed allegations by an alleged victim of wealthy financier Jeffrey Epstein that while working as a teenage locker room attendant at President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort nearly two decades ago, she was recruited to give Epstein massages that often involved sexual activity. The roughly 2,000 pages of records released. How old was she? uh, Just a teenage. So I'm guessing like 18, 19. Okay. You know, or maybe 16. She might have been 16. Um, uh, 2,000 pages of records released by the Manhattan-based Second Court of Appeals uh, also showed the same woman, Virginia Roberts, 
Griffey, Griffer, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, appears to have claimed she had sex with a series of prominent men, mm-hmm. including former politicians. Prince. See, people knew too much. Mm-hmm. Um, at Epstein's direction while working as a staff masseuse for the investment advisor who eventually came under investigation for 2006. In 2006 for sex trafficking. Uh, that probe- so he hires her mm-hmm. to be a massage, a masseuse, a masseuse. Yeah, I don't think you should be called a massage therapist because uh, she didn't. Well, have I, mas- I, but that's what I'm trying license. to figure out. Yeah. A, a masseuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just like, hey, somebody coming up to me and say, hey, uh, hey, put some oil, put some oil on your hands and mm-hmm. start rubbing my yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have a massage therapist license, but you can. Or a mas- masseuse. I don't even a masseuse is just. Somebody isn't puts that oil person, on their hands. Isn't that and... person that's considered that does massage? I don't think it's the same, is it? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I mean, it can used you be, to be called masseuse? a massage therapist if you didn't go to massage therapy school? Is there a masseuse school? I don't think so. So it's just Ginger. Put... Can you Google that for us? <laughs> so I say, just put oil on your hands, and now you're a masseuse. Then you're a masseuse. Put oil on your hands with a certificate, and you're a massage therapist. Massage therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, massage therapists they go through the schooling and they know which muscles, right? And, and so they, they're taught some yes, stuff. They're absolutely taught stuff. You know, and they're also taught about touch and how, like, you you know when you ask the person to roll over, you pull the sheet a certain direction so you can't see them. Like it's all of that that happens in a massage therapist. How much cash did they offer this chick to say, just put oil on your hands and start rubbing my back. It must have been lucrative. Or not. I mean, if you're a teenager and someone says, I'll give you $5,000 to be my masseuse. (laughs) Give me some oil, baby. Right. Put it right here. But if someone said to you right now, I'll give you $5,000 to be my masseuse. Uh, slather it up, baby. Oh! Put oils on. Come on, <laughs> five grand for the session. Now, now, but here's where I go. Now, if I'm in that session, and all of a sudden the rollover happens, and they want to have like, uh, that's where is I'm that like, an extra five thousand? No, that depending on what what the looksy is, like you know, I, that's all I'm saying. Like you know, if if he's looking like Donald. I'm running out the damn door <laughs> and saying, you keep your five grand, you nasty old man. Right. <laughs> but I just, I, but if he's, if switch? he's, if he's uh, the rock. Oh, <laughs> that door is locked even before, even before he has to say turnover. You know, he don't got to say no turnover. Hey, there is no asking. It's just done. Ain't nobody breaking into that door. Oh That's all I gotta God. say. It ain't even five thousand dollars. It's freebie. Freebie. <laughs> he's on my list. My five free lists. Watch out, Dwayne yeah. Johnson. She's oh. coming for you. Anyway, so the deposition excerpts made public Friday said that she was working at the spa attendant. Um. Uh. Well, when she was approached, da da da. da. Uh. No, where in the spa, spa were attendant. you when you approached? Were approached by G- G- Gislaine Maxwell. I don't know who Justine. Ma- That's that lady the, the, that yeah. I told so you Jisleen, is still is wandering. Yes, Jisleen? she's still wandering yeah. around. So Lucy she was the Goosey. one. Yeah, Justine Maxwell about giving massages to the wealthy investor who was owned. Blah blah. blah. So she, she was the one that like said to her, "She's the one that is the front runner that talks to these girls." So here it goes. She's the recruiter. Um, they asked her where she was approached. She said just outside the locker room, sitting where the girl, um, where the girl who works there usually sits. I was Grabbing reading towels a book. or giving towels. Yeah, I was reading a book on a massage therapy. <laughs> she noticed I was reading a massage book, and I started to 
have chit chat with her about, you know, the body, the anatomy and how I was interested in it. And she told me that she knew somebody that was looking for a traveling masseuse. If a guy, if the guy likes you, then, you know, it will work out for you. You'll travel. You make good money. Um, Even though you don't have a certificate or have she's gone reading through, a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, she alleged that she was also instructed by Epstein and Maxwell to have sex with Epstein's friends. Uh, name the other poli politically connected and financially powerful people that Justine Maxwell told you to have sex with. Um, they instructed me to have sex with George Mitchell, John Luke Burnell, Bill Richardson, another prince, and I don't know his name. Another prince? You don't know his um, name? Well, you know one of the princes. Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, the allegation the the allegation contained to be released. Contained in the release documents is false, said former Senator Mitchell. Of course you did. Of course. I have never met, spoken to with anyone in contact with Mrs. Ms. Griffery. Griffery? Griffery? I don't know how to pronounce yeah. him. In my contacts with Mr. Epstein's, I, I never observed or suspected any inappropriate conduct with underage girls. Of course not. I only learned of his actions when they were reported to the media related to his prosecution in Florida. We have no... <laughs> Further, we had no further. Nobody further. knows oh, yeah. anything. Deny, deny, deny. No, I, and now that he's dead, dead, dead. Uh, my thing I'm is, you, see, nobody's gonna come out and say, "Oh yeah, and I convenient, did see something. right?" And so convenient, he's dead now. And I'm like, so how are these women all mm -hmm. lying? Because your eyes weren't open. Yeah, mm -hmm. I could see you with your eyes closed. Was a bird box? Mm -hmm. You went to his parties, all bird boxed up. Come so, on, that's what I'm telling you. You all, now all these people, so this is coming out. All these things get unsealed now that mm -hmm. he's dead. And so all these people that are saying, yeah, this is what I experienced. This is what happened. All the girls, right? Mm -hmm. The girls. Now all these rich men, all they have to do is he would say, mm, no, I was never there. No, not me. Not wasn't me. me. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. I didn't know. I didn't know they were underage. Nope. I only, I only did this or I only wrote on his I plane. didn't see anything inappropriate. Oh, ba, 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 ba. I never met Virginia Roberts. I never had sex with underage person. I never socialized or had sex with any women connected with Jeffrey Epstein since the day okay. I met Jeffrey Epstein. This was Alan Dershowitz was one of uh, the yeah. yeah yeah no so wonder he's a hard Trump supporter. You. That's why I'm telling you, like yeah. mm -hmm. they mm. say it's suicide, but I think uh, that it was. Some, I'll give some credibility credibility if this uh, that Maxwell lady. If she pops up, she uh, rolls floating, it floating she dies, in a lake. Uh, well, she could I'll give some credibility. She could be loyal to the end. You know, because right now she is free. There has been That's no indictment. She doesn't have to say shit. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how is that possible? Mm -hmm. How is it that Epstein, when she was allegedly I, the I right hand person unless, to this recruitment. Unless she is so freaking loyal, she will never say anything. It don't matter. The indictment should come because you were involved in some of these things, including some of the acts. But how come she hasn't been arrested like Epstein? If how come she is not sitting awaiting uh, arraignment, awaiting a trial? Why is she out I there free know. as a bird? Because Powerful people in powerful now, positions. If she, you know, if they find her tossed in a box or you know floating on the lake, I think then as I'm long as she give keeps that her mouth shut, theory and some credibility. As long as they can control the narrative now that he's dead, right? Because once mm. again, they'll just say these women, well, these girls, 
these girls didn't, didn't know what they were seeing. They didn't know what they were talking about. They're just girls. Time's up, baby. I wasn't there. Boop, 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 boop. I told Time's you, I'm up. Alex Jones in this show. Time's up. Not Me that. too movement. There ain't none of that. Oh, these girls don't know what they're talking about. Well, that's a, I up. think that's I think that's the narrative I'm that they're going to try to do. Maybe these girls have some videos, some photographs, some, you know, something. We'll see. Maybe we even, hey, he has a mole, right? You know. Do a lineup. Do a lineup. <laughs> if you know, if that rep, if Dershowitz, dude, you better hope you ain't got Bring no mole somewhere up in, in here. Because if she identifies that mole, <sighs> dude, Lord. yeah. Well, um, that's what that is why I feel that Allegedly. there's a little bit of fishiness in his <laughs> alleged suicide. Allegedly, because I think allegedly. There are powerful people in powerful positions that did not want to be named. And that fool would have, he would have had to. He would have had to come clean on some things in order to save himself. And he fucking would have. Oh, uh, He yeah. fucking would have. Well, I mean. Anything I, to reduce I, his sentence. I would have. Or negotiate where he ended up doing his federal time. Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. All right. What you got next? All right. White Mississippi sheriff calls lawmaker worse than a black person in text. Come on. Yep. Still today. Not what time era are we living in? Are we in 2019 or are we we back in in the 50s, 60s? I don't know. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, a Mississippi sheriff made a racist remark in a text message. A public records request by a local newspaper reveals and Reveals, and then when questioned about the comment, said he was aggravated at the time. So that makes it okay because oh, so he's can aggravated. Be racist when you're mad, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't show up any other time. But when we're mad, we get oh, hammered, called yeah. to the carpet, right. and told that we're get shot, discrediting yeah the department we work for. Yeah, <laughs> the Daily Journal reported Tuesday that Sheriff Jim Johnson in August 2017 quote, described a local white legislator as worse than a black person in a text to a local official, unquote. What? Johnson could not immediately be reached for comment by the the Claren Ledger on Tuesday afternoon. The Daily Journal report comes after the newspaper recently obtained messages between Johnson and three county supervisors on the county owned phone via a public records request. The text date from 2017 to February. Under the banner of heaven, ma- oh wait, sorry, sorry. I was reading somewhere else. In August 2, <laughs> in August, it was, you know, how they oh, give you these articles and then they, yeah. yeah. In August 2017, Johnson sent a series of text messages to Lee County District 1 Supervisor Phil Morgan. In the text, Johnson complained that Tupelo State Rep Shane Acquier involvement in then-current debates about... Okay, let me... So, his involvement in then-current debates about Lee County's jail, the paper reported. Quote-unquote, he's worse than a black person. You're not going to please him, the text read. What does that even mean? You're worse than a black person. Hold on. When questioned about the comment, Johnson, who is white, told the paper, I was aggravated at a a query, adding, there was probably no call for 
there was probably no call for mentioning anything of race. Then when the paper asked Johnson if he believes that racist idea about people, black people are more difficult to please, the sheriff responded, I think when you play the race card, yes, it's difficult <gasps> to please some people. So as people of color. So this person was debating with him about something. They were, they were going, and the person that he said, you're worse than a black person is a white person. It's a white person. And so this person obviously was standing up for something. Yes. Around probably equality or yes, something. Something. Whatever and it was he about says, the jail. You're 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 worse than a black person. Yeah. You you're never satisfied. What the fuck does that even fucking mean? Black people are not ever satisfied. Like if you, they complain, they will complain, complain, they complain, complain about equity and there is nothing equal you services can do nothing and to, to end racism. Satisfy them. That's that's no, his yeah. Ugh, that's his asshole. When he says when the race card is played, <sighs> forget it. God. You will never be able to satisfy the black person. Uh, so that's how he was referencing. Oh, dude, this a, a query, you know, yeah. rep. There, we can't satisfy can't, him. Yeah, because he's he worse than a black person. Yeah. yeah. And 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 now and now that he's playing the and when they play the race, then we're never gonna be able to please him. And blah yeah. blah blah. Oh, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Um. So Johnson told the Daily Journal that he is not racist, saying, "Yes, you are racist. God made us all the same. I don't treat anybody any different. Yes, you do. And you just admitted it when yes, you said you when you say when that you you're worse than a black card, person. And exactly. then when you play the race card, yes. I can never satisfy yeah. you. So yes, you are racist, sir. <laughs> Newsflash. But have you ever said that about a white person? Right. Never said I'm worse than a white person. Never. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. Have they ever? Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Yeah. You're racist, boo. Johnson was first elected a sheriff in 2004, a, Republic a Republican. Ooh, he did not face surprise. an opponent in August primary. He's facing a Democratic challenger. Go, go, Germandy go. Jackson. Come on, Germandy. Go, Germandy. Come on. In the general election in November. And see, this goes back to our continual point is when you don't pay attention to local elections, fools like this run unopposed yep. and just get reelected and, re and just get to stay in there yep. and continue to be racist and continue to influence all policies and procedures in your community in a racist fashion. Yes. Ugh. Fuck racist. Yep. All right. Well, God. This what was just the racist day, the anti-racist day. Well, but you know what? Since this, these articles are coming into our feed and a lot of this well, broad it's the boy, algorithm. It's yeah. the algorithm because that's what we talk about. That's what oh, I post yeah. a lot. So the algorithm got me. Yeah. They got, they know me. They got yeah. my number. They got my number. Um, all right, I'm gonna do this one and then how about when we take a break, we come back with we try to find a good story to end on. Uh our final yeah. stories. Okay. Let's so do I'll do this story and then we'll take our break and then we'll find a good one. I got a couple <laughs> good ones. So um this is an annoying, annoying story. It's not race related, but it just annoyed me. Mom wants daughter 14 to have plastic surgery because ugly people get nowhere. <laughs> Um, it's annoying, but it's true. It's true. So most parents encourage their kids to seek uh, the career of their dreams while growing up. However, one mom is making headlines because her particular dream for her daughter, and it involves getting plastic surgery because ugly people get nowhere. Quote. It's true. However, somebody like that 
And I don't know, I, I, I'm just looking at mm -hmm. uh, just depending on like, say, if you're already developed, your face is already coming to full, you, you know, you're mm -hmm. no longer in transition from, you know, baby to te tween, teen, gone through puberty, the weird, gone through the whole ugliness thing. of puberty. This is you now, boo. Yeah. If at that point you want to get surgery, but I dislike a parent at a young age of a child Oh, you're ugly. I got to get you fixed. I got to get you fixed. Mm -hmm. All of that business. I'm totally no, absolutely not. So then you won't like Carla Bellucci. Oh, is 37 Bellucci. year old mom from Hertz, Hertzfordshire, and she's po she posts modeling photos on her Instagram oh, where no. she has more than six that 63,000 followers. However, she made headlines when. After she told Closer Magazine that she wants her daughter Tanisha to get plastic surgery so she can go far in life, the mom told the magazine her 14-year-old daughter isn't the most of academic isn't the most academic of girls, and she reckons that she would have plastic surgery because ugly people get nowhere these days. The mom added that she doesn't care about her daughter's education, unlike her son's, and she believes that she will need to rely on her looks to get on in life. What? So mom thinks that her daughter will have to be perfect and her daughter is in love with the Kardashian look oh, for the moment. Geez. And see, that's one of the biggest bad influences. Oh. Um, the mom so is going to let her daughter get fillers at age 16 and she fully supports her. Uh, added that the girl will have to have to fit the look of the time if she wants to become successful influencer and reality star. Okay. So that's where she wants to be. She wants to yeah. be an Olivia Jade, yep. uh, influencing people mm -hmm. and you can't do anything other than that. The London mom added that she's putting away $120 a month in order for her daughter to be able to pay for her surgery. And she wants, uh, when she wants it, and on top of the $240 a month she spends for her daughter to be able to pay for her acrylic nails, <laughs> tinted eyebrows, and hair extensions. The mother Girls had 14. previously made headlines when she revealed that she lied to doctors when she when she was has a depression in order to or that she had a depression in order to get a nose job done on NHS with and save eight eight thousand five hundred dollars. What's NHS the difference the between Gypsy Rose's mama? Nothing. And this, this is lady. the same type of abuse. This is the same, very similar type of abuse. Now I'm going to show you a picture of the lady and the daughter. The lady. Uh, the lady should be saving the money for herself. Right? The daughter is gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Mom. Oh yeah. No, the lady needs to save the money for you, boo. Get them, you know, yeah. pull the skin back. Oh. So this is this is obviously one of her Instagram photos. So a little bit more uh, concealer and yeah, but uh, the brows. You, you spending two hundred and something on? I don't brows? know about brows. I, I don't. I, th this is a thing. These brows nowadays. Like I, I don't yeah, know, but her but, brows just look like she just painted them on herself. Like I mean, you spending cash, yeah, so you need to spend a little bit you, more if you're gonna find some reputable person to yeah. do the brows, lady. What do they call that when they when that what is that called when they do the face? Not concealer, but um, what like the makeup? What is that process called? I don't think of it. It just makes it like a, like a, like it's just fake. Like the oh whole, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. The, with the, the the like detailing yeah. and the um contouring. Yes. What yeah. is it with the contouring, girls? I don't yeah. understand it. I don't know. Ginger, Ginger. Oh, Ginger. Ginger. Google contouring. Let 
Ginger, Ginger, you don't have to. She tell doesn't me, have tell to me, Google it. Tell me what about this she contouring? Just, what she, What is the deal about all the contouring? I saw some ladies the other day, and I just looked at their face, and I was like, "You like?" Who and it's are tons. You? It's tons of makeup. I read it's one article. It's tons of makeup. I've it's, read. It's tons. Like it involves sponges and brushes and sponges and pads and creams and powders. To the point where you're contouring your face to look a certain way where it looks fake. Yeah. I don't get it. Let's see if we can reach Ginger to see what this contouring Ginger. is. We, we'll take we a break to... and then hopefully she'll answer. Yeah. We'll come back. Let's take a break. We're back. We're waiting for Ginger to answer. Oh, you've reached someone. Oh. Damn it. Oh. We should have left her a message. Yeah, but I think it goes through her number. Goes to her number. Like it says, you've reached Ginger, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we don't want to put all of no, our, our business on there. Well, Ginger, well, Ginger we tried to call break. you. We tried to call you. We tried to get you on air to explain this fucking phenomenon of contouring. Yeah. We don't get it. I, I don't, don't understand it. it. I mean, I, I, as it is, wear little, very minimal makeup. I do put stuff on my eyebrows because they mm -hmm. feel, I feel like they have fallen out over time. <laughs> I used to have more eyebrows than I do now. The hairs, I, you mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's age, right? Yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. I just looked in the mirror one day and went, where the fuck did my eyebrows go? <laughs> I fucking used to have I had eyebrows. Did you, I had did you lift eyebrows. your shirt I up and look down? The shirt. <laughs> well, I'll tell you where they're at. They're on my fucking chin. <laughs> My fucking eyebrows have fallen out and implanted into my chin, hey, and now I'm getting a beard. Thank God it's the chin and not the mustache. Well, it's there too. That's always been there. I've always had to shave that bitch because she just likes to just grow Ooh. out like a like a damn yeah. You know, I don't know something. All right. Well, we tried to get like we tried to get input, Jen. Ginger. Tell us about contouring. All right. All right. We're going to finish up our stories with a good story. I do. And a friend who lives in Paris. Oh, uh, She isn't. I don't think she's listened yet, but um, good friend of mine. She is super, super positive person. Okay. But she sent this one and it says photo of three Italian grandmothers with migrant children in their laps goes viral. And here's the picture. It's like you see three oh, three little Italian grandmothers oh, little with, with um, little oh. African uh, babies in their laps. Oh, they're such cute. a cute, such a cute picture. So, um, so on Twitter it said, "This is the Italy I love." Wrote a commenter on Twitter. They are three Italian grandmothers named Nicolina, Vincenza, and Maria. And they surely never imagined they'd become famous on social media networks in their country. Yet today they have, thanks to a simple act of love. Aww. The three have gone viral on WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram just a few days after they decided to have a photo taken in which each of them is holding an African immigrant child on her lap. The photo was taken in their hometown of Campolin del Monte, Ta, whatever, Tabruno, located in southern Italy, an hour northeast of Naples. The town is home to a welcoming center for migrants. And by taking this picture, the elderly women demonstrated that they are in favor of giving a warm welcome Aww. to these people who arrive from Africa by crossing the Mediterranean. Aww. The photo in which the smiling grandmothers are shown sitting on a bench in a town and taking care of the little kids, one is asleep, one is snacking, and one is looking around, was first published in a Facebook group called You're From Campolin If, 
Um, and although it's a closed group with only 891 members, the image quickly spread through social media. Oh. Um, and then one of the grandkids actually chimed in. He said, I think that 37 years ago, oh, to think that 37 years ago, I was on the same lap, wrapped oh. in that same smile, and now miles away and a few years older, I'm very happy to be able to share the same emotions with a child I don't know, but who deserves it all and more. You're beautiful, Grandma. Obviously, all the people in the photo are beautiful. Oh. Isn't that sweet? That's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. And the story goes on about the history of yeah. and migrants and stuff like but that. There's but there's a community that is welcoming migrants. Yes. And saying, of guess color. what? You yes. are welcome you here. You are welcome. You will be one of ours. Open arms. It yes. doesn't matter where you're coming from. For sure. Beautiful. Oh, super cute. Que bonita. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. That is bonita. Bele, 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 mute bele, mute bele. Yeah. That's Italian. Uh, stick with Spanish. Just stick, with Spanish. <laughs> stick with your pinchy Spanish. <laughs> All right. So my good story is this 13-year-old opened a bakery for every cupcake he sells, he gives one to the homeless. Oh, that's cute. From a young age, Michael Platt loved to two things, Reverend Martin Luther King and cupcakes. Mm. He linked, I love cupcakes. Yeah, and we got, I love actually, Martin Luther King, so that's what I'm saying. I like them both, bro. Yep. like them both. He lingered um, by the I Have a Dream poster at his grandparents' house, imagining ways he too could fight for justice. He memorized statistics about income inequality and childhood hunger, but he also spent afternoons in his at his computer um, in Bowie, Maryland, home in his Bowie, Maryland home, awestruck by YouTube bakers who transform and base transform a base of eggs, flour, and water into edible works of art. When parents gave him a pair of his huh, when his parents gave him a pair of Tom's shoes for Christmas three years ago, Michael saw a way to connect to his twin passions. Uh, do you know about Tom's shoes? Yeah, they, they buy give one. They give one. Yeah. yeah. Um, at age eleven, he found a bakery that operates on Tom's one, one Tom's one for one model. For every cupcake or cookie that Michael sells, he donates another to homeless and hungry. Twice a month, he heads to locations including domestic violence shelters, transitional housing, and McPherson Square to in the district to pass out goodies. Nice. Michael now thirteen, and he <gasps> he's only yeah 13. he's only thirteen. Oh. Um, Michael, now 13, said he especially enjoys handing out cupcakes to kids. Oh, oh that's so sweet. I know I, I know I like cupcakes, but also cupcakes are part of childhood's, a child's childhood, so they should get them, said Michael, noting that he always eats one with whipped icing on his birthday. Mm. Michael calls his baking business Michael's Desserts. He left out the apostrophe as a reminder that he is baking for others, not himself. Oh, ah, that stop is it. Cry. Um, I always wanted to have a purpose for what I do. He said, it is all about helping people, not just having a purpose for yourself, but thinking about how does this touch other things? Mm. When Michael founded the business two years ago, he's only 13. So two he was 11. Ago. Yeah, 12 months. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my um, kid's going to get it now. <laughs> uh, wait till this podcast is over. That lemonade oh, stand? Yeah. Better get uh, it going. Get it going. And, but not for yourself this time, boo. <laughs> right. Uh, when Michael founded his business two years ago, his parents chipped in to purchase supplies and get things going. Now the home-based bakery funds itself. His mother 
Danita Platt said. Most customers place their orders via Facebook. Mako recently set up a website for the business. We'll make sure to put that link on our um, Facebook page. Uh, he sells roughly seven five cupcakes a month, four for $15, along with a dozen cookies and a dozen chef's choice items, which of course means he must make more than a hundred treats to give away. Oh my gosh, this This cat's got to go to school. uh, Man, he's awesome. Uh, Most often, Michael fills orders placed by local strangers, people who live in the area or people who heard about his business through social media or by word of mouth, though he did once ship a crate to Tennessee. Tennessee. I'm ordering Tennessee. If he can ship to Tennessee, he can ship to Oregon. Oregon. Uh, Michael bakes uh, both for bakes both for individuals and for events such as anniversaries and weddings. His mother said the most common request is he produced cupcakes or cakes for nearby birthdays. Sometimes Michael bakes to raise money for hunger fighting nonprofit groups too. He spent the morning last week teaching a baking class. He's 13 and he's teaching baking <laughs> classes. Come on! With a suggested price of wow. $30 per person. Got a Williams-Sonoma in Annapolis to raise money for no kid hungry. He can keep up with his baking in part because he is homeschooled by his mother who quit her job as a parent advisor for the Prince George County School System to take care of Michael full-time. This step up uh, this setup is not um, this fam- family's first choice. Michael withdrew from public school and his mother her job after he was diagnosed with epilepsy. It, it, oh, my God, he has a disability? Disability, but not really. His, his seizures became too severe and frequent to allow him to sit in the classroom, his mother said. It is very, very difficult time, um, she said, of the period of after the diagnosis. He had to stop everything he loved, gymnastics, climbing trees, diving. So that's when he kind of threw himself into baking. Baking, Michael said, makes him feel calm. Oh, oh my God. Oh. But when he started, he started baking, he knew from the beginning that he wanted his business to do more than make money. That's why... The bedrock of Michael's desserts is its mission in fighting hunger and giving back, which Michael accomplishes through his giveaways and the very design of his treats. He offers customers three kinds of goodies each month. They can choose between shortbread cookies, yum, a staple, a chef's choice item. Michael's invents new a new um, invents a new every four weeks, and the month's edition of Michael what Michael calls Freedom Fighter cupcakes. Oh. So I choose a person to bake to base the cupcake off for each month. And each month I have a flavor that represents them. And I tell their story in my Instagram page. Uh, This month's freedom fighter is Maya Angelou, who gets a banana pudding cupcake because she loved that dessert. Michael said October is reserved for Harriet Tubman, whose cake is mint chocolate chip because her nickname was minty. Nelson Mandela, meanwhile, earns November and a classic chocolate cupcake because Michael likes the shape, the dark frosting, to resemble Mandela's hair. MLK is the only person to receive two months, January and February. His cupcake is stuffed with sweet potato pie filling because that's traditional African-American pie, his mother said. Michael hopes that his cupcake spread awareness and past um, of the past inspires others to work for social equality. Mm. Oh my God. Mm, this mm, mm. kid is amazing. Oh my God, we're going to link his Instagram. We're going to link his webpage. Um, I want to taste his cupcakes. Um, it, It's just, yeah, I mean, this this is amazing. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, he's 13, people. Yeah. 
And this kid is doing something. And his Facebook page is Michael's Desserts Make Life Sweeter. And his Instagram is also Michael Desert Michael's Desserts. Mm. So you could follow that on Instagram. Sweet. Order we post something. He's on our Facebook if you page. S- if you send a message. Isn't he adorable? Is very Look cute. Maybe we'll call him and see if he wants to be on the podcast. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so his um if you send a message up pops up, you know, just a quick how can we help you? Would yeah. you like to order something? Blah blah blah. Oh my god. So they got it all. Michael's got this thing all Michael, Michael, Michael. situated. Yeah. We're proud of you. Keep what you're doing. For sure. All right, we'll take a break and then we'll do some rapid fire. Yes. All right, we're back to, to what, what are you bringing, bringing to the, the table? table? Um, rapid fire time. Rapid fire is the time we, we will read you the stories title. We will not tell you about the stories, but we will talk about what we think the story is about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to try to get this through through this very rapid firely because I got a thorns game to get to. So, Hello. Um, you ready? I got you ready. I got ready to fire. Ready to fire away. Boom. Pew, pew. MSNBC reporter says manager told her to not look too Latina, dress like Ivanka Trump. What? Yeah. <laughs> She's a reporter. <laughs> says her manager called her up and said, girl, don't look oh, too Latina. My dress like Ivanka God. Trump. What is that? You are. A- God, please tell me she sued. Please tell me she's going to take that dude to. Yeah. It wasn't oh. a dude, actually. I mean, I read the story. It wasn't a dude. So whoever it was, yeah, make sure you take that bitch to court. <laughs> don't look Something. too Latina. What does don't. that even fucking mean? That oh, means like don't put come your in orange here with and your... red and all that away. The, yeah, the ruffles. I don't know. I, or, I, I don't know or, what the it, you know. Like don't do your eyebrows like Chola and or, do your bangs. You up, know, like get rid of the unibrow. Don't look like Frida. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Don't wear a poncho to work. <laughs> Don't put I your don't know. put your sombrero away. away. I have like, no idea. What was he thinking? Right. Was she thinking? Yeah. You dumb yeah. bitch. I have oh no idea. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, yep. That's god it. Bless. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's um, where we're at. So this is a, a feel good story, which I've kind of been following. So I'll just read you the title. The husband of an El Paso victim got overwhelming response after inviting everyone to attend his wife's funeral. She was my world, Antonio Bosco said, learning that so many people want to come honor her. He added, makes me feel wonderful. That's so sad. Do you know about this? Yeah. I read that story. His only surviving relative was killed in that shooting. And a lot of people actually showed up. Yeah. No, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I've been following it. That was awesome. Yeah. This is, this is fucking amazing. See, you know, it through hate. It comes also, out some love. We can, you know, hopefully love will heal it. Yeah. Also uh. getting the orange buffoon out of office will oh, also yeah. heal it. That will, yeah. That, that, that is that's like gonna a, take we need us... a Trumpendectomy oh, is yeah. what we need. And that's going to take a while for yeah. us so to heal. We got to love when we have opportunities to love and care for people. Why is my thing all twinkle? Never mind. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> bothered by it. Okay. What you got next? <laughs> You know, they the, our listeners don't know what you're talking about, oh. so all they're going to hear is, why is my thing 
chueco. Todo chueco. <laughs> My mic I'm bothered is by all crooked. I don't know why your thing is todo chueco. And so it's all chueco. Like, I can't help you there. messed up. Mujer. Uh, I mean. <laughs> and it's bugging me. So, because it's leaning. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. I think yeah. Now. All right. Which okay. Got it's all todo chueco now. All right. <laughs> um. So, my next one is Ed Smart, father of kidnapping survivor Elizabeth Smart comes out as gay. Wow, that's big. I wish we knew this. I mean, I wish we did this story. We had so many stories. So I wanted to bring stories. it to the table, but um, yeah. I'm very interested in this because I believe they were either Mormon or very fundamental type Christian, right? Yes. So yes. that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, good for him. Like, come Living out the closet, bro. Come out the closet. Yeah. Be your authentic self. You know, and I did read about it. I did read it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the thing is he understands that his coming out um, has affected, like, his wife. I mean, he's, you know, in his letters, like, I feel bad for my wife. I mean, they've been married for forever. Well, yeah, but, Kind of like you know, that Frankie and that's Grace. What, but that's what happens when you... Hide in the closet. When, when and you suppress your, you know, when you're suppressing your and feelings. And you subscribe to some, you know, very conservative fundamental viewpoints that don't allow you to be who you are, yeah. right? So, and hey, you can't help it, and yeah. she can't. I mean, hopefully they'll be okay. Hey, look, their daughter survived. I don't know what how many was twenty two. Like three months or something, something like that. Like, Whatever yeah, time that your daughter was gone, being was gone survived, sexually assaulted, and you got and through that. Yeah, you can get through your oh, husband yeah. being gay. Yeah, for all sure. Right? This ain't nothing. No. This ain't nothing. This is great. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. This is a story sent to to me by Jason. Washington trooper finds driver playing Pokemon Go on eight phones. Gotta catch them all, but not while behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> Eight phones <laughs> to play Pokemon. Pokemon Go. First off, this dude needs to get laid or something. <laughs> like, I mean, that's actually what I said to Jason when he said, I was like, this guy needs to get laid. Like, it, come on, dude. Okay, so that means he's driving around eight he's phones. He's driving and he had looking like eight, at all these eight he phones. Had eight phones, like attached to like a panel, I think it was. Um, if I to see the, the where picture. one of them Pokemon yeah. is going to pop up. Well, I mean, to see the same one, right? So basically, he's playing eight different versions of... He's probably got eight different profiles. So what is it? That's what I understand. That doesn't matter. Like, uh, you only get so many points. So you're... So each each phone will capture the same one that's exactly, there. Right? So if we were sitting here right now, we we're on Pokemon Go, and there was a fucking Pikachu or whatever. <laughs> I don't know the names uh, of that. Yeah. I only know Pikachu, yeah. right? So if Squirtle, there was a Pikachu, the Pikachu there, we would get on our phones and we try to get it. It wouldn't give us any more points. Like not unless there's, you or know, is there levels maybe because there's, le I don't know. Or that there's like a algorithm know. for maybe one phone to catch it and maybe three not know. to catch it. I, I mean, know. I don't know. Ginger, eight. did you Google it? <laughs> Pokemon Go. Maybe he wanted eight opportunities to try to catch it. I don't know what the benefit of having eight different phones. Yeah. Eight lives. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't freaking know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Get more. a life. Um, uh, let's see. Sorry. I uh, had one up here, but then you got me all twisted got with you this. all about Pokemon uh, Go. Pokemon and the eight <laughs> lives. And no, I think that was, I think that's it. I think that's it. 
You got oh, one more? I do have one okay. more. But this is, I wanted to save it for, okay, whatever. Yes. Yeah. White man arrested for spitting in black girlfriend's face after refusing to partake in slavery role play sex. Hold up. Uh, th see, that's why I said I wanted to save this one. Hmm. That's going to be, that's an interesting. I, exactly. So I did read the article. So he spit in her face. She's black. They were playing a no, slave. No, 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 no. He refused to he refused role play. To role play. She wanted him to, to be the massa. Her like she was a slave. And he be the massa. And he's saying and he's no. Saying, I'm not going to do that. Absolutely not. And the argument escalated. And then she spit in his face? No, he spit in her, her face. face. Police were called. But isn't called. that what she wanted? I, I mean, she wanted role play. That. That wouldn't that wouldn't that be what a slave master might do to their slave? You know, and I'm like, he's they're probably a heated argument. So it's you know, spits flying everywhere. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> Yo, bachelor, I'm not whatever. fucking doing that. Yeah, he's, he's I don't a think he literally. Out. I mean, as I Maybe read the article, did. it Maybe didn't did. say he, oh, he and then spit. Yeah. It, all it said was, and he but spit. it all ensued because she they wanted, wanted they wanted to, no, she, not, she wanted to she do a sex wanted role play to do a of sex, slave and master, but yes, literally slave, slave and master. master, not BDSM Kink, slave and master. Yeah, no, that kinky like I'm going to be the, be slave, the slave and you be my massa. Yeah, and we're gonna do this. Yeah, and you're gonna rape and me. you're gonna yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I can. I don't know uh, if I can, can sign can, off on that kind of role play. Can that? Hey, I hey, mean, I guess. I, I, has this, but there's so many layers of internalized oppression of that, why she would want to play that. Hey, that's what I'm saying. You're you're the one that is the most. I know. Open I, of I it think, all. I think I might have reached my limit on what I the would line? be open to. I did. I think I reached the line. I mean, and who's the one that has a safe word? Him? I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think her, I reached my line. I don't know. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Stop talking about yeah, it. I'm just gonna do mine. That's why I wanted. I wanted full discussion oh, on this one, but oh, it is guy. what it is. All right. My final one is he made my dog look like a Chihuahua. Gator kills a hundred pound pit bull in fucking Florida. What? A gator kills a hundred pound, pound pit bull. Pit bull. Yes. Yes. This was a Jason story as well. Actually, from like a week ago, but I didn't How get How big it. was a gator? Well, I mean, I'm assuming it was a few hundred pounds. Um, Ooh. I did I did gander or glance through the story. Um, I don't think it ever said how big the gator was. But, you know, like the, the guy said that, you know, my pit bull is 100 pounds. Yeah. And it looked like a chihuahua compared to this gator. Wow. And what they said was, so they were going for a walk. And um, the gator came up out of the water and snatched it and snatched it. And so they they talked about how in the morning hours, that is prime hunting time for gators. I, I'm, I'm wondering, you, I don't got no reason to go to Florida. Yeah. Dude, you got gators <laughs> snatching 100 pound pit bulls. Out, out I of mean, the not unless you got, you got cancer. Disrupting. And, you know, remember that couple that like were having their little picnic and that came up, made their guacamole. <laughs> I don't that was know that. a small one. But still, yeah. you got gators eating yeah. guacamole. You got gators eating um, 100-pound pit bulls. You got them during mating season, getting hungry and horny. You got meth gators. <laughs> well, that's what I said. I mean, and that was on your list of how would you rather. So you would go down to Florida um, that's if you were dying going. of cancer. And say, death and, roll me. You know, instead of the whole, you know, <laughs> the suicide stuff, it's like, I'm going to just go swimming. <laughs> 
death row. You me. know, just I'ma just take a swim. Uh, on this. I mean, I I don't I don't want to die. Just don't get all hopped up on meth when you go swimming. Right. Yeah. No. No. Or get one of the meth gators to do it. <laughs> they, like It'll I said, faster. they'd leave you alone. Be faster. They, they would leave you alone. Uh, 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 no, no, I don't want that one. You, she don't she smell don't like meth. meth. She don't get a meth in her system. <laughs> well, we have come to uh, the end of an episode. Of our episode. Of episode 25. Yeah, it was a very long a Very episode. emotional, too. Ups like, and downs. Guest and speaker, then how did we, you know, not being able get to get back the in the groove. Yeah. Get to the seriously funniness yes. of our episodes. But um, it was great. We I'm did glad. it. I'm glad we that we did it. Yeah. So remember, learn some more about uh, MMIW, MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Boom. Um, and, and grateful that. What was the UW under, what was the other one organization? Oh. The, oh, see? Uh, I know. <sighs> but just, we'll, yeah. Just listen to it, you know, yeah. listen to it on the. We'll post it. Uh, yeah. Rewind. Yeah. Press rewind, you know, as Press she's talking pause, about write it. Write it down. Yeah. Google it. Um, um just i mean if you google missing an indigenous oh yeah up pops all kinds of stuff yeah up pops all kinds of stuff check it out get yourself educated yeah and don't forget keep an eye on that uh miss fisher and uh miss fisher you know, which one was that one that's Rosal. Rosalie. oh miss fisher okay yeah got it <laughs> yeah yeah no hey who knows maybe rosalie. she's gonna Is it rosalie? i mean rosalie yeah maybe she i don't know like maybe yeah. she can make it to the olympics I, I hope so. Goal, but that would be awesome. That she would did. be awesome. Because like she talked about, I mean, she wants she's to go... underrepresented even in the, right. the world of track. So yeah. like, hey, go for it, yeah. girl. Yeah. Get you some. For um, sure. All right. Well, that's it. All right. Until next episode. Nos vemos. Nos vemos. Daisy, Daisy, what's your safe word? What's your safe word, Daisy? <laughs>